Welcome along to the Know My Faith Monday podcast, and my guest today is Alan Davey. And uh, Alan, welcome to the podcast. It's great being here, Rob. Uh, not sure how to describe you, though. Uh, counselor, pastor, ex-pastor, ex-assistant pastor, dairy farmer, fisherman, all yeah. of the above? Yeah, probably all of the above. But right now, I'm um, well entrenched in being a counselor. I love okay. what I do. How did that come about? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I was the assistant pastor for a local church in Morrinsville, and my brief there was pastoral care and counselling. So I did some training, upskilled myself there, got really interested in supporting people from that perspective, yep. and um, realised there's an awful lot of people outside the church that need that support. And so after 13 years of what I was doing in the church, I uh, retired from the yep. church and began a private counselling practice from Were home. you geared that way originally? Was it, were you always wanting to help people? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, people were not surprised when that's where I ended up going. Well, that's where right. I am now. Yeah, they weren't surprised. Yeah. In saying that, I guess, um, I mean, I was farming for 18 years, got saved when I was 27. I was interested in cows, but then when I was saved, I got more interested in people. <laughs> so, so the Lord began to shift my view. Yeah. Twenty-seven is kind of old because I mean we know that most most people when they come to the Lord they're going to do it in their as a child or in their teen years. Actually, I'm not sure if that's still the case nowadays. That was always the case mm. in the in the old days. Twenty-seven is mm. you know you you're pretty much set in your ways yeah. by twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. So what happened? Um, well, I'll make this a shorter story. It's, a, it's it's an interesting long story, but the short story, the short version is my wife to be Ginny, who was a Christian, wanted to get married in a church. I wasn't a Christian, yep. so wrestle with that a little bit, but um, she wanted to get married in a church, I wanted to get married in a garden, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I decided to prove there was no God, and it doesn't matter where you get married. <laughs> and so in my quest to prove there was no God, I was sincere in the quest, yep. uh, but I sincerely thought I was right. But as I, um, as I pursued that, like I said, I'll make this a shorter story, as I pursued that, interesting things started to happen, Yep. And I was given some information I hadn't considered and pursued that. Do you remember what you believed beforehand? Ah. I believed in evolution. Yep. I believed that the Bible was a fairy tale written to peace and messes. I believe Jesus um, was part of the fairy tale. I didn't believe he's a real person. But in saying all that, I'd never read the Bible. Right. I'd already prejudged it. You know, Noah's Ark. Uh, for me, was part of the fairy tale. So if yep. that's a load of rubbish, then it's all a load of rubbish. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember a, a Christian comedian, um, uh, Jeff Allen. He tells the story of how he's pl playing golf with this Christian guy who's also a comedian. He's a really bad comedian, but he was rich and had access to the best golf clubs, so that's why he played with him. And uh, the rich guy asks Jeff Allen, he says, uh, you know, what do you believe? He goes, well, I'm an atheist. He goes, so well, what is it about the Bible that you don't believe? He says, well, I've never read it. He says, well, you're not an atheist. You're just ignorant and lazy. Describes a lot of people. The first guy I asked about Christianity, he was the um, he was the, my AB technician and my relief mooker. Okay. He was also the local pastor of a local church. Yep. Lovely guy. Um, I liked him because he liked rugby. And he never pointed his finger at me telling me I was a sinner going to hell, which I thought all Christians were meant to do. You don't want an AB technician putting, pointing fingers at you. <laughs> <laughs> it 
true. If you know what that means, you know what that means. <laughs> so anyway, he didn't. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll ask him a couple of questions and he'll give me some religious answer, probably yep. quote the Bible and that'll be it for me. So I got him over on the pretense. This was only 10 days before our wedding. So it was okay. that close. It was that close. I got him over on the pretense. So I was going to show him where the cows were going to go while we were on our honeymoon because he was going to relieve milk for yep. us. And um, as we walked down the race, I turned to him. Howard, his name is. I turned to Howard and I said, uh, Howard, I'm a nice enough guy. I've never killed anybody. If there's a heaven, I'll go there, won't I? And he looked at me and he said, let me tell you a little story. So he just told me the story, just a simple story to help with the illustration. He just said, uh, imagine there's a boy called Billy and he's at school. And he overhears a conversation by a boy called Johnny about uh, how Johnny's father had this flash TV. And so Billy heard the conversation and decided he wanted to go have a look at this flash TV. And so straight after school, he hops in his bike and he goes to Johnny's house. He doesn't know Johnny, but he does know where Johnny lives. And so he goes to Johnny's house. He doesn't even bother knocking on the door. He opens the door, walks in, finds the TV, sits in the lazy boy, starts surfing the net, and Johnny's dad turns up. And he looks at Billy and he says, who are you? And Billy said, well, I heard your son talking about the TV you had. So I thought I'd come and watch it. And so Johnny's dad looks at Billy and he said, oh, so you know my son? And Billy said, no, I don't know him. I just knew where he lived. And Johnny's dad looks at Billy and says, well, you don't know my son and I don't know you. Get out of my house. Yeah. That's a good story. It's a good story. It's a good story. So that got me thinking. That didn't, yeah. it didn't convert me. It wasn't what it, you were expecting. It wasn't what I was expecting and it was an answer that reached me. And so I learned something from that. Yeah. It's, what I learned from that is it's a person that needs an answer. It's not a question that need, needs answering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so often we, we, particularly when we're talking to people who don't know the Lord, we get into answering questions. Yeah. And we go further, we start answering questions that they haven't even yeah. asked. Yeah. Um, I was saying the other day, and I don't know if this was on a previous podcast or not, but my mum was uh, she was a typing teacher, early word processing, etc. So we had a computer in the house in the 1970s. And so I'm sitting there, I'm saying, oh, mum, how do I do this? So she would come over, she would show me, she would do this, this. She goes, and then you do this. I go, no, go away. I don't need the and then. Yep. I just want the yep. answer to my question. Yep. Um, and so often, yeah, I mean, we'll get into this a bit because it goes into philosophy and, and, and wisdom and all that sort of stuff. But so often we answer a question that somebody asks with the knowledge and wisdom that we have without actually stopping and asking God, what should I say? Mm. Well, this, this, this fellow, Howard, um, he had people praying, because pa- pastoring yep. a church, yep. so he had people praying for me in the background, oh, right. and I never knew about that. So he ambushed you. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> um, and these people were saying to him, I heard afterwards, that they were saying, you know, just tell him the gospel quote the scriptures, give him what he needs. And Howard, in his wisdom, yep. was saying, no, I'm just going to reach him where he's at because yeah. he needs to be answered, not the question. How do you find that as a counsellor? Because obviously people, the, the problems that we have are not unique problems. You know, it might be unique to you, but there's, there's a thousand other people in, you know, in the Waikato in New Zealand that have the same problem. And... Alan's come across the problem many times in his years as a counsellor. How hard is it for you to, to stop and go, don't give the pat answer, listen to the Lord? That's vital. 
I've I've discovered so many times that in in, in talking with a client, listening to the client, because that's key, is you got to listen to their story. Yeah. Often they've never had the opportunity to tell their story, so you take time to listen to where they're at because their presenting problem is usually not the problem. It's what's causing the presenting problem yep. that is the problem. So you just need to be sensitive to that and ask empowering questions to help that person dig a little deeper to reveal what's going on, and then you then you meet that hurt need. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's similar to the old story of the the pots of boiling water. You put an egg in one and put a potato in the other. It's it's not the boiling water that's the problem. It's what was the what was in there originally that hardens one and softens right. another. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself analy- Are you sitting there analyzing me at the moment? Oh, I did that when I first met yeah. you, <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> you know, first impressions, Rob. But yeah. right now, no, no. I'm just engaged in where we're going with this. Yeah, uh, is it hard to break out of that sometimes? I mean, you've been doing it for a while, so it's yeah. probably not. But you know, you, you go to a party or something, you're talking to a whole bunch of people, and you start analyzing. What I've what I've discovered is um, people need to be in pain. And some people need to be in a lot of pain. People need to be in pain? Yeah, well, how easy is it to change? It's not easy to change. It's easier to change your clothes or maybe even where you live or your car. But to change who you are is very difficult. And so, you know, God uses pain as a megaphone to get our attention. And it's when we're in a lot of pain that we will call out. And when we call out, you know, what's, what's, a, what's the saying? It says, uh, when the pupil is ready, the teacher will come. I thought, uh, if you build it, they will come. Or was that? <laughs> it was well, if you make yourself available, but, yeah, they can but, come. But it's not my fault that I'm in pain. That person did something which caused me pain, so they're the ones that need help. Um, I got lots of sayings. <laughs> one of my favourite sayings is to become a victim's not your choice; to stay one, however, is. Yeah, well, that's very true. That's and very so, true. Uh, so a person needs to take ownership of that. Victimhood is one of the most debilitating conditions of humanity. Truly believe that. If you believe you're a victim, you're just stuck. Why do we do that? I I mean, my my theory of why we do that is because, and I'll go back to when I was in my teens, uh, I used to play the victim and and at a party I'd be sitting in the corner on my own because if I did that, a whole heap of people would come over and ask me if I'm okay. There's, There's always a benefit in playing a victim. It's, um, oh, poor you. Yeah. They'll rub your back. They'll feel sorry for you. You will think, well, I don't have to try now because so, it's not my fault. And so you, you've, you've been freed from the responsibility of taking um, action for yourself. Yeah, of being sorts re- of freed from the responsibility of being responsible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How debilitating is that for a Christian? When, here's an interesting thing for you. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, I love Genesis because it's the book of the beginnings. Yep. So it's uncluttered with he begot whoever. I get confused, you know, after, you know, after... Um, yeah, after after Hezekiah I get confused way before that. <laughs> but anyway, so, so right at the very beginning, you've only got a few parties in the game yep. and um, probably five. You've got God who breathes life into Adam. You've got Adam, you've got Eve, and you've got the devil who's in the garden. And so the devil convinced Adam and Eve to do something that God said wouldn't be good for them. So they believed the lie. 
So that's the key. When we believe a lie, the only, the only access the devil has into our life is through the lies we believe, yeah. that I believe is true. So he has no other, another, no other access into our life other than the lies we believe. Curses, curses that get passed down. The lies, lies. are... Uh, I'll use myself as an, as an example, right? And, uh, and I've got to say, this involves my dad, something he said, uh, and I've forgiven him and worked that through, but it's still impacting my life at the age of almost 60. So, school cert, I did reasonably well at school cert. Maths, I did really well, 92%. Right? And when my dad saw that, he ruffled my head and jokingly said... What happened to the other eight? Mm. And we both had a laugh, mm. and I've never been able mm. to finish anything since because mm. I'm so scared mm. of not being as good as what I think I am. So that's now from 15 to 60. It's 45 years on. So thanks to people like, uh, and we'll get into talking about the, David Riddell and other things in a minute. Um, what does he say? Trace it, face it, and replace it. So I traced the lie that's been... Leading my life. This is a counselling session now. I need a couch. <laughs> um, I traced it. I've faced it. And I've recognised that it, it is a lie. But I'm having a heck of a job replacing it. But that first part, the lie that gets in, is so subtle that most people have no idea they're believing a lie. Yeah, that's right. They don't. And that's why you need to look at your own life. The greatest gift you can give yourself is a gift of self-awareness. So how do you do that? Well, you look at your life and you, you say to yourself, how am I going in this area of my life? What's getting in the way here? Um, or do you need the pain to come in? Do you, do, do, does well, God need to send that to, for you to realise? I, th I think we do, but I don't think we have to. I think pain gets our attention. Yeah. Because if it gets our attention, then we need to do something about it. But if we don't... Life can distract us in yep. all sorts of ways and we can just carry on without even considering what's going on deeper down. That's the trace it, yep. face it and replace it. So that's what we need to do. We need to be able to go down into those places. But mo most of us don't know how to do that. We don't even know we can. You know the old, um, the old line, you've heard of the saying, you press my button, yep. you rattle my cage, you yank my chain, you pulled my string. All those are indicators of something that's going on inside you. Yeah, we've got um, our culture is very good at um, helping fulfil physical needs. Like if you're thirsty, you know, well, we need to drink two liters a day. Yep. If you're if you're hungry, you know, you need to eat good healthy food because good healthy food is good for the body. Uh, you need to do physical exercise because that's good for you. If you fall over and you've hurt yourself, you need to put something on the wound. Yep. So we've been taught all of that. We've been taught the physical, but as for the body, so for the soul. The emotional issues are the issues of our being. Yeah. And, um, you, know, you know, the classic one there is uh, Romans 12 too. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Yeah. But if we're, not, if we're not processing it like that, if we're not um, working out what the patterns of our world are doing to us, we're stuck in the pattern. If you don't recognise it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, had a classic case on Sunday morning with uh, Alan playing the piano at, uh, at church and he's playing something. I'm sitting in the sound booth at the time. He's playing something and just he stopped because he knew it was wrong and I just yelled at him. It's, it's F sharp, you're in D. 
So he knew something was wrong, wasn't quite sure how to fix it, um, and, and and we can go through our lives. See, I think the thing is that that we have this impression, and this is one of my bugbears, as, as Western Christians, uh, we have a, a very shallow knowledge of the Bible. It's like, you know, when you go and swim in the sea or in the lake, you've got this sure. warm area that's that goes down a few inches, but the rest of it's cold. We Spiritually, we swim in this warm area of the Bible. We don't get into the depths of things. Um, and so we, we don't understand um, the, the deeper truths. And we have this attitude that because I believe in Jesus, when I die, I go to heaven, right? right? Okay, I'm 63, so I've got another, maybe another 30 years, and then I go to heaven, so I can put up with this pain right. that's going on inside. I don't need to deal with it, because I mean, when I die, God will deal with it, and I won't be there anymore. I don't think that's God's view at all. I don't think so either, but <laughs> I know, I'm pretty I know. sure that's what we have. I tell, I tell you what I think. I'll go back to the story I've was. Uh, I, I I've forgotten to finish. When Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve stuffed up, God turns up in the garden, Genesis yep. 3, and he says, Adam, where are you? Adam replies like this. I think it's Genesis 3, 7. He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So he had fear. Yep. Being afraid of God, not fear as an awesome respect, just being a scared that was, of... That was just scared fear. Scared yep. of God. Yep. So I was afraid because I was naked, so that's shame, so... Fear, shame, so I hid, that's guilt. So yeah. fear, shame, and guilt entered humanity then. It wasn't yeah. from God. That wasn't, we weren't originally designed for that. So that entered humanity now through Adam and Eve. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And so we carry that damage with us. Yeah. And we need to be able to process that damage so that we can take hold of what Christ has made available to us. And then Adam did what so many people do. He passed the buck. Well, I tell you what, it happened. wasn't my fault. Mm. It was the, in fact, it was your fault. The woman that you gave me, she made me do it. It's not my fault. Yeah. And it, excuse the language. I'm not going to use the language, but the movie Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon and Robin Williams. There's there's a scene in it where Robin Williams just keeps saying over and over to Matt Damon, "It's not your yeah. fault. Yeah, it's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your fault." And while we are so good at hiding and blaming other people for what's going on in my life, we know deep inside that it is my fault. The problem is, that's one of the lies. So that's where I go with the client. I say, what, what bushes are you hiding behind that God wants you to, become, to come out from? Because here's the thing, I've got a vivid imagination. Adam and Eve in the garden with fig leaves on. Yep. The garden's hot, and so the fig leaves are going to wilt. They're going to shrink. <laughs> And so they're going to be yep. forever going like this. Yep. And they're going to need to be reclothing themselves by their own effort. Well, God doesn't want us to do that. In fact, I've got this other thought, that if Adam had, when God turned up and said, where are you, God knew where he was. Yep. If Adam had stepped out and said, my bad stuffed up, really sorry, genuine repentance, I think things would have been different. I mean, which, they weren't, Which so is we what don't. David did. I mean, God calls David a man perfect in all his ways, except in the matter of Uriah, a man after my yeah. own heart. What did David do when he was confronted yeah. with his sin by Nathan? He goes, yep, yeah, yep, my bad, I'm out. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I can't blame anybody, yeah. that was me. Everybody else in the Bible, King Saul, when Samuel comes over the hill, 
what's this bleating of cattle? Well, oh, the, uh, right. the men wanted to sacrifice to God. Mm. Not my fault. Mm. Yeah, somebody else's fault. Um, when we can start taking ownership of our own actions. Yeah, but how does that, how does that translate then to the lie that I'm believing that's driving my actions? Well, what's driving your actions should reveal to you what's going on. If, if, you're, um, if you're having relationship issues, there's something wrong. You know, it's a squeaky hinge that should get the oil. It's the other if, person who's got the issues, not me. Well, <laughs> usually, <laughs> to be honest, usually the person that thinks that doesn't come to my office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the husband and the wife do come to my office, yeah. and she's desperate for him to understand that it's not just her, it's him too. Yeah. So I ask some empowering questions and go to some places that help that person look deeper into their own soul because yeah. that's the goal. We're all wounded. Well, this is my philosophy. The fall has damaged us all. Yeah. So we're all damaged goods. So that's everybody. So that's not just you and me, Rob. That's just that's everybody. That's, everybody. that's every human on this planet is damaged to some degree. Some more than others, I get that. But let's own the fact that we are you know, damaged. That's empowering as well. I worked as a, as a um, chaplain at the primary school for a number of years. And uh, and one kid, he, he came to see, he says, you know, Mr. Holding, can I talk to you? So we sat outside and um, I knew a bit of his situation because I've actually talked to his older sister uh, a couple of years beforehand. And he's, uh, so they lived with mum for a week, then they lived with dad for a week. They both lived in the same town. Mum one week, dad next week. And that was working quite well until mum got a boyfriend and dad got a girlfriend. Yep. And now a couple of years later, dad's wanting to get married and mum's wanting to get married. And so they're, who do I live with? So I've got, now I've got a stepmother. And I said to him, uh, I said, how many kids in your class, like 25 kids in the class, I said, how many kids in your class do you think live with their real mum and their real mm. dad all the time? Mm. He goes, most of them? I said, no. I said, less than half. Mm. And he's like, <sighs> yeah, it's not just me. Yeah, yeah, such empowerment. Yeah, it's not just me. Everybody in the world is damaged. Yeah, that's a great place to be able to find yourself, and then you can start saying, "Okay, I'll deal with I'll deal with mine." I had a guy that was uh, had cerebral palsy, and he didn't like his cerebral palsy because it, it's it, it's not it, nice. Well, and and also it uh, it inhibited his opportunities for female companionship. <laughs> Uh, so he thought. Yep. Uh, and so I helped him work through that because he believed a lie because of that. So I helped him unpack that, trace it, face it, replace it. And, and, and now he has this line, which I really like, because when someone would ask him, why do you limp, he felt really bad because, yep. because it's that obvious and all you can see is my limp. He says, I have a limp, what's yours? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I had a, a friend years ago in Alexandra. He um, uh, it wasn't quite paralysed down his right hand side. It was palsied, I suppose, in some ways. And we were at a meeting, and the speaker at the front he said, "If you go, God's here to heal, if you would like God to heal you, come up the front." And so my friend walked up the front, and he said, "Put your arms up." So he's you know, like this mm. with his arms, and I watched his right arm go all the way up, mm. and it came all the way back down again. Mm-hmm. And I said, God, what is that? Because mm-hmm. you just healed him. Mm-hmm. And he took it back. Mm-hmm. And the word, Lord said, he said, Guy is more comfortable with his deformity because he can blame everything on the deformity. Right? If girls reject him, he can blame it on the fact 
that he limps and has a paralyzed arm. If he was whole, he'd have nothing to blame it on. Yeah. And so he wants to hold on to the lie because that keeps him comfortable. We all fall into that category to certain yeah. degrees, Rob. Is it because we have this, again, going back to the, particularly from a Christian point, because we go, we go okay, well, I'm only here for another, you know, here for 90, 100 years and then I'll go to heaven forever. So I can put up with this? I think that is part of it. Um, when I when I left the church to start my private practice, I, I wanted to make myself available to Christian and non-Christian. Yep. One of the one of the things I discovered, I, I noticed it in the church, but it became for whatever reason more acute for me outside the church. Was there are Christian people that seem to be more damaged than the non-Christian people <laughs> because of the hang-ups of because of their perspective that they believe, one of them being what you said, yep. oh, well, I'm saved now, so I'll pretend I'm okay, so I'll hide from that, yep. or, or when I get to heaven, it's going to be dealt with anyway, and so I'll just limp along until then. The problem with limping along is, you know, relationships are everything. If I, if I feel insecure in myself, then I'm not going to give myself out like yep. I could or should. Yep. If I feel insecure in myself, I'm not going to own all that's mine through God and become available to all that he wants me to do and be. Yeah. Because it's the being of who we are that we're called to be. Yeah, and uh, the problem is that we're not secure in ourselves. I was having coffee with a guy the other day. We were talking about this. We, particularly, the um, uh, he was a South African. And I said, the thing with you South African guys is, is you know who you are. Um, us Kiwi guys, we're, we're so insecure in who we are. That's why we slag off at the Australians all the time, because it makes us feel better. Sure. It doesn't bother the Aussies. You know, they don't care one hoot just makes me feel better slagging them off because I don't actually have this identity in me that I can hold on to and s sit up or stand up and say, this is me. And I think as a Christian, and again, going back to the fact that because, because I don't know God well enough, because I don't know my Bible well enough, because I don't know who I am in God well enough, because I haven't read that often enough in the Bible, I don't have the identity and therefore I have to pretend that I'm, everything's okay. We were talking uh, before we uh, went on air about, uh, about a statement that I really like, and it's, it's, if I believe something about myself that God doesn't agree with, then one of us is wrong. <laughs> and, yep. and that's a good litmus test. So anybody that's listening, what I'd really encourage you to do is consider that if you are believing something about, what are you believing about yourself that if God was there, which he is, if yep. Jesus was standing there, he'd say, no, I don't agree with that. You know, do you believe that you're insignificant? Do you believe that you're unimportant? Do you believe that you're a waste of space? Do you believe that you're a failure? What do you believe about you that God doesn't agree with? That's a good place to start because the whole quest of our life is to regain the image we were created in, yep. like the original image. Because yep. yep. when we're all fallen creatures, and so the image we have is the image from Adam and Eve. And so we look at life via that guilt, shame, and fear. And, and so everything that happens to us is filtered through that image. And so we take on board that which isn't ours to yeah. take on. But if we can re-look at who we truly are in God, created in his image, to be holy, to be yeah. free, to be uh, pure, and, and loving, and uh, without guile, all those sorts of things that we find hard to do, as we pursue that image, we step into the more that's available to us. And I believe the Holy Spirit then can come in 
and 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 move in us like he couldn't before. Yeah, because it's more it's more us holding the Holy Spirit back than than God not wanting to fix these things in us. It's, it's absolutely right. I've had numbers of clients, and it's happened so often now that um, that the, 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 that I wouldn't say I expect it because that's not that's <laughs> not my bit. But but I'm yeah. not surprised when yeah. it happens. I have a client that will come to me that struggled maybe with um, insecurity within themselves because, um, you know, their dad um, belittled them and so they felt less than. And then I, I had a client, and this person wouldn't mind me saying this because they've told me that I can, although I won't give lots of detail. Um, they were at a Bible college. They'd been sent to New Zealand to go to the Bible college. They were there for three years to train to be a missionary. As the three years were coming up, oh, mm. to, to be a prophet. Okay. To be a prophet yep. as a missionary. As the three years were coming up, and he was called to that, by the way, and he knew he was called, he got more and more scared because he felt he couldn't stand up and be counted because he thought he was less than who he should be. And that came from his father because his father beat up on him right. emotionally. And so he felt insecure in who he was. And so we, we processed that. He was able to trace his stuff and face it and replace it with the truth. A week later, he comes back. So I'm making this a short story. Yep, yep. A week later, he comes back to me, and he sits in the chair in my office. And he looks at me, and he says, I've had the greatest encounter of my life with God this week. And that was because the barrier between him and God had yep. shifted. So he could now hear like he couldn't before because yep. his ears were blocked with, the, with his own self-talk where he couldn't hear the Spirit talking. Or if he could, it wasn't loud enough to get through. Yeah. Or, if it, or if it was getting through, he was believing his own rhetoric, his yeah. own self-talk, rather than what the Spirit was saying. Yeah, I remember an encounter with God in Sydney back in the 80s, and it was just like the most euphoric feeling I'd ever had. And, uh, and the, the short version of the story is, is God had said to me at one point, I was sharing this with someone, and the Lord said, I didn't do anything. I'm thinking, well, there was only two of us in the room. You know, so I must have done something. And he said, yeah, you let your walls down that far, right. just far enough for me to put. The most euphoric feeling mm. in my whole life was from the Holy Spirit being able to sneak through this tiny, imagine what would happen. Because I just read John 3.34. Uh, no, so I read that next, which just blew me away. Uh, John 3.34, which says that the Spirit was given without measure. And what I felt was this tiny little bit, and that's the best feeling in my yeah. life. Why, why don't we learn? Um, we have so many problems th with the people we see in the Bible um, that for various different re uh, the depression of Elijah. Um, I was just reading Hezekiah's st story the other day when he, you remember when he blows it and he shows the Babylonian delegate everything and Isaiah says, this is going to happen to you, but uh, because of your father David, you know, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, it'll happen to yep. your sons. And here's a guy who goes, well, Joyce, as long as it doesn't happen while I'm alive. And I go, that's pretty darn narcissistic. You know, we can, we can identify these character flaws or these problems in the Bible, people. Why can't we learn from them? Instead of just, you know, here's your little test today. Write down Joseph's character right. flaws. Right. But here's a better test. Learn about your own self from Joseph's character yeah. flaws. Well, that's the very place that we need to be able to find ourselves. We need to know, we need to know. <laughs> I, I, I love the statement that Jesus made 
when, when he began his ministry. Read from Isaiah 61. We know it well. This is how I've memorised it. Yep. It may not be quite right. You know, he says, um, For the Spirit of the Lord is on me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives and set the prisoners free. None of that's physical. None of that's physical. Binding up broken hearts is not becoming a heart surgeon. No. Setting captives free isn't breaking into a prison and helping the prisoner get out. And, you know, the release from darkness is not physical darkness. It's yeah. an absence of light, an absence of hope. Yeah. And so when we can realise that that's the broken stuff that God is wanting to deal with, because that's the stuff that gets in the way of him reaching me. If, yeah. if that's me here, my mess gets in the way of him coming in. Yeah. And that's why we need to look to our mess but and it say... Doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't inhibit him. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of everything. Nothing's going to stop him unless we block it, unless we purposely block it there. And well, like, like my friend's paralyzed arm, we go, no, I want to hold on to this. This is my comfort place, which he must have seen so many times as a counsellor. Well, there's no grace going on inside our comfort place, is there? No. But, uh, but, but it's but, comfortable. But it's comfortable. Absolutely. And it's familiar. It's comfortable yeah. and familiar. And we know the boundaries of it, and we've lived in those boundaries for so long that we can, we can um, use those boundaries or use that to our advantage. Nothing like we could have, yeah. but still at least something. But God wants us to be free, for freedom that you've been set free. Yeah. Stand firm then. Don't let yourself be shackled again. I, I have, I have I've got to be careful. I.e. don't believe that lie again. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, don't go back to that place again yeah. because that place is bondage. Freedom is truth. Bondage is lies. Mm. I, have, I have a philosophy. I've got to be a little careful how I pitch this, but I'll pitch it anyway. I have a philosophy that, that God won't do for us that which we must do for ourselves. So he wants me to begin to work on me. When I got saved, there were some things in my life that changed quite dramatically. I walked yeah. out... Yeah, I, I knelt by my bed. I said, God, if you're real, I believe you are because of all that's happened. You're either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. I, yep. I accept that you're the Lord. So I opened myself up to who you are. Then I lay on my bed and I said, God, if you heard me, could you just move the curtain a little bit, please? <laughs> Nothing happened. I was hoping for some angels and trumpets. Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen. So I lay on my bed, but this had been quite a long process, so that wasn't yep. necessary. I lay on my bed and I thought, well, that doesn't matter. Nothing uh, nothing changes where I've just taken myself. Yep. I got up the very next morning and I wasn't expecting this. It was a late summer. It was probably April um, or early autumn. Yep. As I got up to milk the cows, I stepped outside. There's a big stand of kakatiya trees in the paddock. I looked at those trees and I thought, they are magnificent. Look at, what's, look at them. Yep. And then I could hear the birds singing. They've always sung, but boy, yeah. did I hear them sing. And the grass looked fluorescent green. Something had transformed. Something had taken place. His spirit had come to dwell in me like he promised it would. That was 20, I was 27. I'm still working out my salvation yeah. with fear and trembling. Yeah. I'm still looking at what's going on in my life and saying, there's something that needs to be dealt with here. Or God is prompting me in an area. And, uh, and so I need to see that and say, I'm willing to engage with that because I want to be all I can be in him for two reasons, for my good and for his glory. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Everything, uh, I'm glad you say that because I, I, I say that to so many people, everything God does in our lives is for our good 
and to give us a chance to give him glory. Absolutely everything. Beat that for a life to live. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I was at a wedding recently, in fact, yesterday, um, not yesterday, Saturday it was, and um, after the speeches, somebody, the, the, you know, the, the mother of the groom spoke, the father of the groom spoke, the mother of the bride spoke, you know, everybody spoke, and somebody said, you know, it's, it's so wonderful that every single one of those speeches were all honouring yeah. yeah. Apart from well, apart from the groom and his brother, who had a little <laughs> bit of a, you know, but even that, even with the little brother of the, of the who was the best man, yeah, you know, he he did the little sling off, but then he honoured his brother, yeah. you know. And she said it's so refreshing because they'd been she'd been to a wedding earlier where the father of the of the bride had just made disparaging remarks about his daughter, um, and so which just it's lead me on to this thing about the the father wound. That we have, yeah. uh, and if I go back to what I said before about you know the, the school cert maths and everything, that was actually a wound from my father, and so that is is growing in me and uh, becoming my understanding attitude of God as a father. Add that into everything else right. that that I mean, my dad was a loving dad. Um, so back 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 on the couch now with the counselling session. Uh, he was a busy man. He owned a butcher's yep. shop. Worked hard. He was also a lay preacher with the Presbyterian Church. I don't remember Dad and Rob times. Yeah, right. I remember piling into the back of the Mori Fowl van with the other ten or eleven kids to go and play soccer. Yeah, but I don't remember yep. Dad and Rob. So for me, God is a loving God, but He's a bit distant. Yeah, you know that father wound that that puts on the the different coloured glasses of how I see God the Father. We need to realise that children are good, and we're all children. We're all we we were all born somehow, mm-hmm. so we all grew up. And I've and I, and I, I'm confident that from from the womb to about the age of seven and beyond, but these are the real formative years. From the womb to the age of seven, we're gathering in information. Children are good absorbers of information, yep. but poor interpreters of information. And so we need to allow ourselves to check out our interpretation. But we, we, we desperately need an example. And our example is who the God portrays himself as father to be yep. and who Jesus is. They are our example. Without that example, we only have each other. And guess what? When we look in a mirror that's got a crack in it, we take on board the crack. Yep. So we need to own who we truly are, who God proclaims us to be. Not who we, not, and that's the process, isn't it? Is to to recognise that my view of God is tainted by this. So therefore, I now need to reassess my view of God that, and take that's on board the first that which step is, is recognising it. The, the lie, trace it, you know, recognising it. Um, and again, what you said before about from Romans twelve is is not being conformed, but transforming. And to me, the transforming and the renewing of your mind is. Uh, and particularly with the, the the father heart thing is, the more you read the Bible, the more you see the father. You know, Richard Dawkins has got his famous line about God being the biggest misogynist, da 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 da, whatever. Sure. I'm going, Richard, read the Bible again yeah. and again and again and again and again, and you will go, oh, I was wrong. He's not like that at all. You don't get that from one read through. You don't get that from picking and choosing verses from the word for today or every day with Jesus. You don't get that from the, the three or four verses on the overhead on a Sunday morning. You only come to understand the real father 
by reading the word over and over and again. And you go, ah, so spending time with him. Our mind is its own thing. Yeah. And, and of itself, this is a quote, isn't it? Our mind is its own thing and of itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Yeah. And, um, and when we look to who the Father truly is, that brings heaven down. That's the quest. The quest isn't to, to wait till I'm dead to go to heaven. The quest is to bring the kingdom of God to earth now. Yeah. It's much easier than the first one, though, just waiting. So why, there must be, because um, as you say, you counsel Christians and, and non-Christians, but amongst the Christians, we, we have this view that, well, why didn't I get fixed 100% the moment I became a Christian? You know, when I got down on my knees, he said, Jesus, come into my heart, which, by the way, isn't in the Bible. But, <laughs> you know, why didn't it go, boom, all, the, all your problems are over, Rob, that little wound that your dad gave you when you were 15, it's all fixed. Well, it's part of maturing and growing up. We got, and that's what we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to put our shoulder to the plough, so to speak. We've got to, we've got to recognise we've got stuff to work on and call on him to help us. It's not... A, a, it's a journey. Yeah. It's just a journey. Um, why doesn't that happen? Oh, well, there are many times I wished it did. Um, some of that I can't answer. Yeah. But the people that I do come in contact that are broken, when they find their healing... They praise and worship God like, um, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Because they are finally free. They, they get and it. And then, yeah, they get it. And then they're, they're able, you know, the wounded healer concept, someone that's been molested, when they, become, when they get healed and the spirit comes yeah. in and, and, and works in them, they are great ministers to people that have had or are having the same yeah. event. Yeah. Because what happens without that is what Dr. Mike Gorry used to say is hurt people hurt people is because I've got this wound in me, I'm going to lash out and hurt you. Um, I remember my, my son, he had a, a little kitten at the time, got caught in a tree uh, by its back paw. Right, So it's hanging down from this tree by its back paw, couldn't get, get, get off. And so Luther goes to you know, pick it up and pull it off the, off the branch. He's got bites and scratches all over him. I said, and he goes, why did he do that? I says, hurt people hurt people. You know, if you're hurting, I'm gonna, it makes me feel better if I hurt you, yeah. but once once the Holy Spirit has done the job of healing, and I suppose if you, you know, so what we're saying, I suppose, is if you know that you're hurting, it, as a Christian, we have a responsibility to deal with that, so that we can become the wounded healer. Or does God want us to stay hurting? Well, De- He doesn't. De- depends on my it depends on my understanding of God, doesn't it? Well, is my understanding of God that yes, He's the sort of God that wants me to stay. Does the God of the Bible want us to stay hurting? Yeah, does does the God who is Jesus that came down to this earth want us to stay hurting? Why did He do all this? He came to do this to set us free. Yeah. Getting back to that Romans twelve, where it talks about don't conform but be transformed. Be transformed by that, the renewing of your mind. Yeah. That word transformed comes from the Greek word metamorphosis, and so in metamorphosis you have a you have an egg that becomes a caterpillar that then turns into a chrysalis to become a butterfly. The metamorphosis process is found in the chrysalis process where, you've, where you get yourself contained, you completely break yourself down. So this is, this is the goal yep. for, for us. The transformation goal is to recognise I've got stuff going on in my mind that needs to be reshaped, reformed. And, and if we can process that well, and sometimes it will take wise counsel, not always, but often, especially if it's a big hurt, you need to go somewhere that can 
can can help you process yeah. to unpack that well. It's it's easy enough for someone to cut someone's guts open and see it all spill out. All of us can do that. We can make someone cry by uh, by saying, "Oh, tell me what your problem is," yeah. and they yeah. will share that, and they'll have some cathartic uh, expression from that. But it takes a really wise counsellor to be able once that's being coming out the crappy st- oh, the messy stuff starts coming out a wise counsellor can help put it back and stitch it up really yeah. well so there's the wisdom of wise counsel yeah but that metamorphosis process what what's the goal the goal is the butterfly the goal is not the egg or the caterpillar or and, the chrysalis and, and, and the, the chrysalis is not to Create a better caterpillar. No, exactly. It's cr- to create something completely different yeah. than the caterpillar that is then designed. Which was always in there. That's exactly yeah. right. So yeah. that's for all of us, Rob. Yeah. We're all designed to be way more than we often think we can be because our thinking pattern has restricted us. Imagine yeah. owning who we were meant to be. How hard is it for somebody to identify that lie? Oh, quite hard. I've got to be honest, it can be quite hard for people because you're stuck in it, aren't you? You know, if you want to know about water, don't ask a fish. Yeah. Because a fish just lives in the stuff. You ask someone that's on the outside that can explain what water is. So that's why good counsel is important. But you need to realise that you have... that. Am, am I living a life that's glorifying God and in a life of freedom? Am I living that life? And... And if you dare, ask those close to you. Yeah. What do you see in me that needs to be worked on? If you dare ask if, that oh, question. Yeah, yeah. But that would be, and I'd have to counsel, that would be a question that you wouldn't want to ask people around you unless you had someone who you could go to with that information that is able to walk you through that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, a mentor or a counsellor or a, a, a wise pastor because you don't want to deal with that yourself. No, you don't. No. But it is a question in the right environment that yeah, we can ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, and always asking the Holy Spirit. You know, say, Lord, what do I need to work on? What was it? Jordan Peterson says, what stupid thing am I doing on a regular basis to screw my life up? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you mentioned him because I'd forgotten him. Back in the 70s, there was the, the, the little yellow book. I don't know if you ever came across it. I'm okay, you're okay. So it was, it, it was pop psychology, which I kind of put Jordan Peterson into the category of. Um, but basically the, the, the four premises of I'm okay, you're okay, is there's, there's four settings, is I'm okay, you're okay. Or you're okay, I'm not okay. Or I'm okay, you're not okay. Or you're not okay and I'm not okay. Right. But the, the goal is to get, it, to get me to the point where I can think I'm okay and you're okay. Um, for me, that's that's the hardest thing to do is to get the I'm okay bit. Because if I'm still dealing with all the problems in me, uh, how can I relate properly to you? How can I relate properly to the Father? I had a guy come to me a little while ago. Um, I'll keep this reasonably vague. He, um, he was sent by a health professional, not a Christian, in his mid-70s. Um... He looks at me and he didn't want to be in my office. His wife was sitting there and he said, uh, you can't help me. But, and the wife says, just listen to him, dear. And so he folds his arms and he looks forward and he says, okay, fix me then. And so I'll make this a short story. Yep. He, um, I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. 
He said, I've had three burnouts, work-related burnouts, which I blame on the employer. They worked me too hard. My two adult children, I have nothing to do with because of their stuff. I said, okay, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life. And so anyway, I asked some empowering questions, help him get to a place where he's able to share with me, with tears, which really surprised him because he's a tough old fella, with tears that um, when he was five, he was ostracised at school for a very good reason, which I won't go into. Yep. He was ostracised at school. So from there, he formed the belief that I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so from there, when he worked for an employer, because he believed he wasn't okay, he was naked, if yep. we use the, yeah, yeah. the Bible analogy. The, 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 the Adam was, analogy, yeah. He was naked, and he needed to find something to hide behind. So he hid behind a really hard work ethic. Because if he could work hard for the employer, they will never know that he's not good enough. Yep. And so he burned out three times with that. His kids, when they came along, well, if I can control my family to make them look perfect, then I'm going to be at least be able to hide behind that. So he screwed that up, and eventually the kids, as soon as they got old enough, they were gone. So anyway, in talking with him, he recognised that that's what was going on, that the belief he formed was yep. what uh, was what was generating all the behaviour in his life. And then he looks at me and he says, you just made me feel worse. And I said, why is that? He said, because I should have come to you 30 years ago. Mm. But getting, getting back to, to what you were say, saying before, he didn't know Christ. He had nothing to hold on to, yep. no one to hold on to. His identity was challenged by, by realising that, that what had happened was based on a lie. He got up and walked out of my office, literally. I just had enough time to hand him the account. So he literally got up and walked out of my office because he wasn't willing to yeah. face that stark reality that he needed to take responsibility for himself. We as Christians know that Jesus knows us. God knows yeah. us. Yeah. And he knows all that stuff, and he's just longing to help us go down into those basements, all that stuff yeah. in our life, so that we can then look at it and deal with it but all the time holding him. Because yep. my identity is not in what I do, it's in who he is. Yep. You understand? He's, I work, one of my jobs is as a support worker for people with special needs, and it's support, right? You don't do for them what yep. they can do for themselves, but you're always there yep. if they need help. And we need to remember that with Jesus, is that he's there, right? He's not going to do for me what I can do for myself, yep. but he's there to help when I need him, and he's there, and I can go, ah, Jesus is still there. I need to do this myself, but he's still there beside me. One of my touchstones is, um, can't quite remember the reference now, is um, you know, Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper, and not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Yeah. So, so I'm already secure. So you take hold of that security, and you can look at your stuff then. If you haven't got, got that as security, then you, you believe your security is in your worth, yep. where it's not. My security is in, I was created in his image. Yeah. And my worth is in that too. Absolutely. My, my worth is in that. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's like that $10, do you, you know the $10 note analogy? You ever? Oh, I thought it was a five, but no. Oh, on. maybe it is. Oh, the one that's screwing up the note. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so why is $10 worth $10? You've got a $10 note. Look at that. I do. I, you, you, I use it a bit. You're 10 up on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's $10. It's yep. worth $10 because of where it comes from. Its value is from where it comes from. Otherwise, it's a counterfeit. If that, if that isn't 
printed at the Reserve Bank, it's not legal tender for yep. $10. Yep. So its value is because of where it comes from. What's it worth now? Still worth $10. Now. Still worth $10. Pile of cow poo, dip it in the cow yep. poo. Still, Still worth $10. $10. Let's say someone walked in and said you're only worth $2 for the $10 That's note. That's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. What say this $10 note could talk and said I'm not even worth the paper I'm printed on? That's also a lie. So our value is intrinsic in who we are. It can't change. So when we can take hold of that, then we can deal with our other stuff. When, when we realise that our identity is secure because we come from him, yep. because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, when we can take hold of that security, then we can deal with the other stuff. Then we can go through the Romans 12, renewing of our mind. Yeah. And part of that is recognising that we have to recognise that the, that the value is intrinsic. But we also have to recognise that I've been sitting in Kaupu for the last two years. We have to get not, ourselves... Not lie about it. Go, oh, hey, you know. We have to get ourselves cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do. I'm, I'm crumpled, I'm torn, yeah. there's a bit missing off the corner, and I'm covered in Kaupu. Remember, I'm still worth 10 bucks. That's right. Remember, we're all broken. Yeah. The quest of our life is to regain the original image. Yeah. We've taken on board the image of Adam and Eve, not the image of, that we were originally created in. I remember Nikki Cruz uh, from The Cross and the Switchblade, yep. and if you haven't read the story or the or Run Baby Run, which is his biography, so you don't get this in The Cross and the Switchblade, but you get it in Run Baby Run, which is his autobiography. And he says in the days when he was the gang leader of the Mau Mau's in New York, and he would he would have these... Uh, the, the fights, he'd just put a rubbish bin on his head and he'd grab a couple of baseball bats and just, you know, even his other gang members got out of the way. He was just vicious, mm. mean. He'd have mm. these huge parties. He'd be doing the drugs. He'd have the girls. And then he said he would go back to his flat and he would cry himself to sleep because he was so so lonely. Yeah. We look at so many other people and we think, oh, you know, Don's got it okay. Sue's, Sue's Shin's, you know, he's obviously confident in himself. I'm the one. I'm not okay. They're okay. When the truth is, we're uh, all not okay. We're all not okay. I need to recognise that. But I've still got this intrinsic value of who God, God did not make a mistake when he made me. Is there a key, something that you can give to people through your years of experience with, as a counsellor that helps them on that journey of, of the, the trace it, face it and replace it? I'm, I'm being selfish here because I want to get to that replace it stage, but... Yeah. Is, is there a key that can help me begin that journey? There are keys. Well, I think we've just talked about what I think the primary key is, really. And, and, and that is recognising our true value. And then, and then the quest of being able to regain owning that value. And, and I can use that analogy for non-Christian people too. Because yep. that $10 note, I can say to them that, that we are all human. And so no, no one human is worth more than any other human. And, and some people might get a bit confused about that. So I say no one baby is worth any more than another, mm. another one baby, are they? No, they're not. So we're all little babies once that have now become confused about our identity. And so we need to regain, we need to, we need to get rid of the confusion so that we can own what is ours. So I don't know whether that answers that question. Just trying to think of any one thing. 
Well, the truth sets us free, so let's be truth pursuers. Yeah. I mean... Which is how you came to know the Lord in the first place, as you were... That's, that's absolutely right, and that's, that's still my quest. So what's going on in my life that's, not, what's cause, that's causing me to not live well? Yeah. Because that's the quest, is to live well. I, um, if we again, and I know that you, because you've you've worked with David Riddell with the Living Wisdom, and so the the the, I don't think face it, trace it, or trace it, face it, and replace it. I don't think that's that Dave invented. He might have invented the term, mm. but it's yeah, you know, it's been around for a long, long time. Um, I think un- unless and and he's just mentioned on a on a post recently of uh, you know some people have been set free, another two dozen people set free by. Tracing, facing, and replacing. Unless you've been set free, I think we need to put our hand up and go, I need to go on that journey. Um, whether I'm contacting David Riddell or Alan Davey or somebody else, I, I need to recognise in myself that I'm not living the full life that God created for me, that my relationship with him isn't what it should be, so I'll put my hand up and say, yeah, Holy Spirit, send me someone to help. Amen. There's a little ditty I like, and it says, revelation requires application to become transformation. Otherwise, its end is just frustration. And if you look at uh, James... So say it again, just so we can remember it. Sure. Re- revelation, so having something revealed to you. Yep. Getting an understanding you didn't have. That's what I mean by revelation. revelation. So, so an insight, you know, the, the light bulb moment. Oh, flip, yep. now I see. That's revelation. Revelation must be applied. Revelation requires application. application. That's the chrysalis. Yep. That's the, the that's the renewing of your mind. Revelation requires application to become transformation. Yep. Otherwise, all you'll have is frustration. And then James, I think it's James four, is it? I think it is James four. You know, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yeah, yourself. Do yeah. what it says. Yeah, that's the application. The that's do, the that's right. Do what it says. And the end of that verse says, and you'll be blessed in what you do. Mm. And you'll be blessed in what you do. So when, yeah. we, when we apply truth to our lives, we, we, we reap what we sow. When we apply that truth to our lives, we grow stuff. Yeah. That's real good. Excellent. Alan, it's been great. Thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure, Rob. Thank you very much for inviting me.